Almighty God, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would open our minds, Lord, that you would crack open our souls and reveal to us Jesus. Lord, we pray for revelation. We pray for light to come into the darkness of our lives. We pray for you to inhabit the praise of your people. We pray, Lord, that we, flesh and blood, body of Christ, gathered together, would behold you. We come this morning and we acknowledge that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and that at your name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And together, as your body, your bride, we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray. And if you don't know it, the words will be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. That is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, Preston. When we read, you can go ahead and stop it, Preston. When we get to Revelation chapter 5, where all nations gather from every tribe and people and language before the throne of God, it's going to be like that. Okay? I'm uh, so glad you're here. Thank you, Brian, by the way, for kicking us off and teeing me up last week. As we get into the book of Revelation, um, one of the things that we have to understand is that, is that <laughs> Revelation, uh, typically, and Brian touched on this last week, typically what happens is one of two things. Either people read Revelation and they go, this is just weird, and they close the book and go, I'm never reading that again, because it's just weird. Or they obsess about it, and they go down the rabbit hole of, as I love how Brian put it last week, of the, we think Revelation is about the when and how. Of when's the end going to happen and how is it going to happen. And that's where most people focus. But Brian was absolutely correct. It is about the who. It is about Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So as we get in to the book of Revelation, we are going to look at it over the coming weeks, not as a 
when and how and getting into all the theories about the jots and tittles of how this is all going to take place and so on and so forth and the tri tribulation and the, 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 the trials and it's going to be the pre-tribulation or post-tribulation or mid-tribulation. It's the pan-tribulation. It's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> so we are going to focus on the themes of Revelation, the things that we know that it's about in context. Um, I want to introduce you to my sister who's visiting this morning. Jody, say hi, everybody. My sister Jody. Um, Jody and I, uh, I'll never forget. It was uh, February 1981, and at a revival meeting in Marshalltown, Iowa, I asked Jesus to be Lord of my life. Now, I'd been raised in the church. I'd gone to Sunday school. I went to vacation Bible school. I had gone through confirmation. I knew all of the things. But on that February night in Marshalltown, I asked Jesus to come into my life and be Lord of my life. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. I will follow wherever he leads. And something changed in me that night. The next night, I told my sister Jody, you're coming to Marshalltown with me and Randy and Amy. You're coming. And so she came that night, and I'll never forget, they had kind of a concert kind of thing going on, and then they took a little break before the preacher was going to get up and give a message. And Jody and I went out to the water fountain at First Baptist Church in Marshalltown. I can see it clear as day. And we were sitting at the water fountain, and I said, Jody, last night I asked Jesus to be Lord of my life. And I, I know for the first time, I know in my heart that, I, that Christ is in me and that when I die, I am going to heaven. And then I said to her, Jody, when you die, I want you to be there with me. And that night, Jody went forward and she made Christ Lord of her life. And something changed. And you can ask my dad, Something changed in us, something changed in our family, something changed in our life. And I have been following Christ Jesus as Lord ever since. Some people ask me why, I, uh, why Wayfarer is the name of my blog uh, at TomVanderwell.com. And uh, it's just simply this, I, because I'm on this journey. And I love, the, I love the, the metaphor of the wayfaring stranger, the good old folk tune. I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger. But the reality is, is that God has has led me on this journey. And I've, I've shared with some of it before, but I, I, God has led me to, to be part of churches and be on staff at churches. Uh, I mean, we were raised Methodist. And then I kind of became a non-denominationalist. And, and then I went to a Baptist school and I was in a Baptist church. And then I, uh, got, God led me to pastor a Quaker church which is just weird, they're weird, I love them, but they're weird. And then um, when I was ordained, I uh, 
I had to pick uh, people to be on the ordination council that would examine me and ask me questions, make sure that I knew what I was talking about. I had a whole day of examinations. The four people on my ordination council, I had two Quakers, I had one Baptist, and I had one five-point Calvinist Presbyterian. Now, what that means, for those of you who don't know theology, it'd be like having um, a Hawkeye fan, a Cyclone fan, and a couple of Cornhuskers, you know, to boot. I mean, they may all play football, but they are not on the same team, and they don't see the game the same way. So the reality was that no matter who was asking me the question in the ordination council, at least two of the other people probably disagreed with me. But one of the things that God taught me through that whole thing, and then I went on and I, was, I pastored in a Presbyterian church, and then I found my way back to the Reformed church of my Dutch heritage, and, the, and then God leads me to Pella, Iowa. So I've been on this journey, and here's one of the things I've learned about that. Augustine said it back in the days when, when there was only one Catholic church. And St. Augustine said this, in the essentials, unity. One Lord, one word, one baptism. In the non-essentials, liberty. We can disagree about how revelation may end up happening and all the particulars of how it's gonna play out. But in all things, charity, love. We have to have love for one another. And that's one of the things that I have learned is I was taught revelation in the very strict sort of thief in the night. And remember thief in the night? Do I need to show hands again? Yes, run, Patty, run. Yes, um, it was filmed right out here at Red Rock Dame. And the, uh, you know, and the really kind of Tim LaHaye uh, rapture and tribulation and all these things. Get it? I've studied it for years. I've taught it. But here's the thing. You can get people together from different backgrounds and they will all disagree about maybe how to interpret the how, again, the when and the how. It's Okay. In the non it's not, it's not essential. And here's what I will remind you as we get into this. All of the religious scholars of Jesus' day who had been studying the Old Testament their entire lives, they got it wrong. They did not understand who the Messiah was going to be. So if the religious scholars and leaders could read the Old Testament and, and re religiously study it their whole lives and be so wrong <laughs> about how it was going to play out, then I have to have the humility to say that I can look at the, I can look at the apocalypse, I can look at Revelation, I can look at all of prophecy but I have to be humble enough to go, I might have it wrong on the when and the how. But I tell you what, there is no doubt about the who.
So last week, Brian showed you part one of the bio uh, project introduction to Revelation. I want to back up this week and show you another Bible project video that kind of talks about apocalyptic literature in the whole, not just Revelation, but Daniel and the prophets, the exile, and how it all fits in and how we should read it. Okay, so can you go ahead and play that for us, Preston? I want us to understand as we get into the book of Revelation that we're ready for this. In fact, what we have been studying over the last five years as a church in both the sanctuary and the auditorium has brought us to this place. Kevin, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and, our, and along with our executive team, it's been amazing as I look back and see all that we have been through in our series now that we end up in Revelation. Because Revelation doesn't, doesn't just stand on its own. Revelation is dependent on everything that came before it. Everything that came before it. So if, let's go to slide 16, if you would, Preston. Remember in the I Am series that, that Brian referenced last week? We got slide 16? There we go. You know how when I had the whiteboard out, and we talked kind of about all the different I Am metaphors, and how it wasn't just Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, but we go back to the beginning in Genesis and find out that when God said, let there be light, that Jesus was, number one, the word who did that, but number two, light came before the sun and the moon and the stars. Now we get all the way, Jesus comes, Mount of Transfiguration, he is the light of the world, and then we get to the end of Revelation, and guess what? It says that the light of the glory of God in the new Jerusalem, in that new beginning that we talked about in the video, guess what? There is no sun, there is no moon, because the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ provides the light of all things. So all of it fits together from beginning to end, and we talked about that with the gate, and how the gate to Eden was shut, and then all of a sudden we had, you know, we have Jesus saying, I am the gate, that I'm going to lead the, the, the sheep in, and how in Revelation, in Revelation 22, the new Jerusalem, the gates are never closed. Why? Because Jesus has conquered and won, and no longer is there going to be any shutting. Everything is open. Life, light, goodness. Christ, it's, we go from beginning to end. Now, one of the things that's really <laughs> kind of hard about this is we, we, we think now in linear terms of time. And to an extent, yes, this is a great story, and there's a linear piece to the entire great story from Genesis to Revelation. However, if you step back, what we really have been saying is that Everything that is in Revelation was in Genesis. <laughs> that Jesus, when he came, it is the cycling of what God has been revealing about himself through all of history and all of time. So we can't think about things in Revelation without understanding the things in Genesis and all of the story in between. Uh, Preston, would you go to slide number seven, please? In the book of Revelation... There are 404 verses with a connection to the Old Testament. 278 with at least one reference to the Old Testament. 
82 of the Torah, 97 in the Psalms, 127 in Isaiah, 83 references to Ezekiel, 74 references to Daniel, 73 references to the minor prophets. So if we don't know our Old Testament, we're not going to understand Revelation. And if we read Revelation and think that it's disconnected from everything before it, you're wrong. It is all about, all about the Old Testament and what God has been saying from the beginning. Let's go to Revelation chapter one. And we are gonna read today, uh, slide three, Preston. We're gonna read Revelation one, verses 12 through 20. John is writing to the seven churches, and he says this, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, and if you're taking notes today, jot down Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, and go back and read it because he's specifically referencing Daniel here. Someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. Now, think of, think of something so bright that all you see is white. That's kind of what we're seeing. The, the brightness of the light washes everything out. Hair, white as snow. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. Okay? His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the alpha, the omega. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. We just sang about that and I hold the keys of death and Hades. In other words, I am the gate, and even the gates of hell cannot stand against me, because I got the key. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are angels of the seven churches. So like every church had its own guardian angel. And the lampstands are the seven churches. Great. Let's go back to slide 16. Can we, Preston, please? Jesus is the alpha. I'm the beginning and the end. The alpha and the omega. And we've talked about this. That Jesus is the alpha point from which all things flow. Nothing is made that, that he didn't make. He was the origin of creation. He spoke the word. He is the living word. And everything flows from him. 
Jesus is the omega point, and everything flows back to him. And what Revelation is really telling us is that eventually all of creation comes back to the author of creation. It is all about Christ. All of it. So we have to think in terms, a little bit of context. So let's go, if we could, um, verse, uh, let's go to slide 14. Could we, Preston? And we've talked about the four levels uh, ad nauseum, so you all know this. Level one, me and my relationship with God. Level two, me in my community relationships. Level three, the kingdoms of this world. Level four, the kingdom of God. So let's go back to 16. So here's what's interesting. Jesus is the author of creation. Humanity, I've talked about the fact that there's this, it's like one big lifespan. So Christ comes, humanity is in the infant stage. And then humanity begins to grow up. And by the time we get to Exodus in the, in the Old Testament, we're kind of like a toddler stage where we really don't understand Father God at all, but we're kind of getting a glimpse of him like a toddler. And what does a toddler think of dad? Oh, he's a disciplinarian, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, law, do this, don't do that, yeah. But then as we get a little bit older, we begin to see our father maybe in a different, and our parents in a different light. Maybe it isn't everything that I thought of when I was a toddler. We get then to the point at which Jesus came to earth. And it's like that the relationship now is at a point of accountability. Now here, you want to... See something cool? Jesus is revealed seven different ways in the book of Revelation. Number seven is really important. Seven is the, the, the number of completion, seven days of creation. Jesus is revealed seven different ways in the book of Revelation, and one of them is the bridegroom. And when he comes at the end, he comes for his bride. And we, all who know Christ as Lord, we are the bride. So here's what's cool. In Near East uh, Mesopotamia, in Jesus' day, this is how marriage happened. When a young girl got to the age of accountability where she was beginning her period and now she could raise, bear children, she became eligible. So a bridegroom would come to her house and would meet her in her home with her father, with her family. And then the bridegroom would make the arrangements for the marriage. They became betrothed. At that point, we got a contract, but the marriage isn't consummated yet. So the bridegroom goes back to his father's house. To what? To prepare an addition to his father's house for his bride. What did Jesus say? I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you will be also. And so then the bridegroom, it could take months, it could take years. You never knew when the bridegroom was going to come back for the bride. In fact, that's why Jesus told the parables of the, the virgins and their lamps. 
Why did the virgins have lamps? Because all the eligible virgins had the lamps so that if the bridegroom came back with all of his eligible groomsmen, they had their lamps and they would escort them and they could see the faces of all the eligible uh, uh, girls that could be married, right? They wanted to get married as well. So you have to have your lamps trimmed and be ready at any time for the bridegroom. And then then the, the, the groom would wait for his father to say, son, it's time. You've got, everything's ready, you've done a good job, it's time to go get your bride. No one knows the hour or the day except the father. Isn't that what Jesus said? Why? Because he's the groom and we are the bride. And he is waiting for the Father to say, yes, all is prepared. And so the second coming of Christ is him coming back for his bride. I love the way Jesus reveals himself in so many different ways. And that's what Revelation is all about. He's revealed in seven different ways. He's revealed as the lamb that was slain. He is revealed as the lion of Judah. He is revealed as the the white rider on the horse coming back with the word to take care of evil once and for all. It's all about Christ. Christ is the center. Now let's go to slide 15, if you will. It is also throughout scripture, one of the overarching themes of scripture is this. Empire versus kingdom. Human empire versus the kingdom of God. So let's go, to, go back to 16, if you will. All right? Think about this. In the beginning, what's the first thing that we read about man doing? He builds a tower of Babel, saying what? Nothing will be impossible for me. I want to reach to the heavens. We want to be God. It's the beginning of human empire who will try and build up an empire against the kingdom of God to be God ourselves. Then we get to Exodus, and we have God's people against the Egyptian empire. And the people are enslaved to empire but God delivers them from slavery to be his people. And then we get to exile. Do you remember the whole story of exile? So these people continue to want to go back to being a human empire. So God says, hey, we gotta you know, do this the right way. You gotta follow me. And they're like going, no, nope, we wanna be our own empire. We wanna be our own king. We wanna do our own thing. So God said, fine, you are going to go into exile into the empire of Babylon and Assyria, and he gives them over to empire. Then Jesus comes, saying what? I come to bring the kingdom. God's kingdom is at hand. But what? We're during a time of the Roman Empire. And so we have the Roman Empire who take the early church and persecute them. We read about that in the book of Acts, didn't we? So now we get to Revelation, and there are these seven churches under the Roman Empire, and that the early church started like turning things upside down, 
But then the Roman Empire shut it down. They persecuted. They put John in exile on Patmos. They started killing all the Christians. And the revelation comes to these seven churches at this point in time where things are getting tough. And in the Roman Empire, as it was mentioned last week, you had to go to the, to the temple, the emperor cult, and as you had to pledge that Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't pledge that Caesar, that empire, is Lord, you couldn't buy things, you couldn't sell things, you couldn't take advantage of any of the rights of Rome, you would be shunned, you would be outcast, the Roman Empire would make sure that you felt ostracized, out in the cold. You're wrong. And so John gets this revelation of Jesus. The whole thing is written to these people who are living in tough times, who are stuck in human empire, one of the greatest human, probably the most greatest human empire the world history has ever seen, the Roman Empire, a thousand years. And he says to them, no, Jesus Christ is Lord. And he reveals to them that he is the center of all things. Now what is, yes, so that we have to see it all in the context of these seven churches and what they're dealing with, but let's recognize this. Are we living in tough times? Are we? Yes? Have things changed in the last 40 years? I have, it's been amazing to watch. Being a disciple of Christ is no longer fashionable. The church institutions have imploded. Churches are closing. People aren't going to church. People are leaving the church. The media wants to brand Christians as crazy, outlandish. We are building a new Tower of Babel, but this time we're building it with CRISPR, DNA, AI, internet, that's what we're building it with. But we're doing the same thing, right? We can make, we can make our own humans. We can, we, can, we can detail, we can make babies if we want. We can do whatever we want. Then nothing is impossible for us. And in fact, AI, we don't even know what AI can do. It could probably just kill us all. But we're still gonna keep building the tower. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So, who is at the center of your life? Because that's the big question that Revelation asks us. Is the world Lord? Is Instagram Lord? 
is politics, Lord? Is my 401k, Lord? What is the center of my life? Who am I serving? Because that's what Revelation wants to know. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team, you can start making your way up here. I want to close with a story. Think about the description of Jesus that we just had in Revelation. It's a guy by the name of George Ritchie. In 1943, he was a uh, young soldier at an army camp in Texas. He was uh, preparing to fight the Nazis for the U.S. Army. One night, he got a really high fever, 106 degrees, terrible headache. And then he woke up and suddenly felt like fine, and he got up and started, he looked down in the bed, and there was still a body in his bed, but he just seemed normal, although he felt great. And he started, um, guy came down the ward, and he asked him a question, and the guy just ignored him. Didn't seem to hear him. So he walked out of the base, and he started wandering, and went into town, and again, tried to stop somebody to ask them uh, something, and they, they didn't see him, and then he went to tap them on the shoulder, and his hand went right through them. And he realized that he was dead. So, he thinks to himself that he's gonna go back to his body and see if he can get back into his body because he realizes that, that must have been the body that was in the bed. So, he said, says he gets back to the room and suddenly the room started growing brighter and brighter. This is what he writes. I stared in astonishment as the brightness increased coming from nowhere, seeming to shine everywhere at once. It was impossibly bright. It was like a million welder's lamps all blazing at once. And right in the middle of my amazement came a prosaic thought, probably born from the biology lecture back at the university. I'm glad I don't have physical eyes at this moment, I thought. This light would destroy the retina in a tenth of a second. No, I corrected myself, not the light, he would. He would be too bright to look at. For now I saw that it was not light, but a man who had entered the room, or rather a man made out of light. The instant I perceived him, a command formed itself inside my mind. Stand up, like a trumpet, what we just heard from John. The words came from inside me, yet they had an authority my mere thoughts had never had. I got to my feet, and as I came to the stupendous certainty, you are in the presence of the Son of God. He thought about Jesus, the Son of God, who he learned about in Sunday school, gentle, meek, kind of weak, but this Son of God was power itself fused together with an unconditional love that overwhelmed him. An astonishing love, he writes. A love beyond my wildest imagining. This love knew every unlovable thing about me. 
the quarrels with my stepmother, my explosive temper, the sex thoughts I could never control, every mean and selfish thought and action since the day I was born, and I was accepted and loved just the same. When I say he knew everything about me, this was simply an observable fact. For into that room, along with his radiant presence, simultaneously, though in telling about it, I have to describe them one by one, had only entered every single episode of my entire life. Everything that had ever happened to me was simply there, in full view, contemporary and current, all seemingly taking place at that moment. How this was possible? I don't know. <laughs> Transfixed, I stared at myself standing in the blackboard in a third grade spelling class, receiving my eagle badge in front of my scout troop, wheeling Papa Dabney onto the veranda at Moss Side. There were other scenes, hundreds, thousands, all illuminated by that searing light. In an existence where time seemed to have ceased, it would have taken weeks of ordinary time. Every detail of 20 years of living was there to be looked at. What have you done with your life to show me? The question, like everything else proceeding from him, had to do with love. How much have you loved your life? How much have you loved with your life? Have you loved others as I am loving you totally, unconditionally? why I had not known like love like this was possible. Someone should have told me, I thought indignantly. A fine time to discover what life's all about now that I'm dead. I did tell you. But how? Still wanting to justify myself. How could, how could you have told me and I didn't hear it? I told you by the life I lived. I told you by the death I died. And if you keep your eyes on me, you'll see even more. Jesus sent him back to his body, and he wrote a story. That is what the book of Revelation is about. So as we end this morning, with a couple of worship songs. We're gonna have elders, deacons serving communion. We're gonna have prayer ministers over here to pray. You can come and partake in the light of the world and his death and his sacrifice for you. You can come and you can be prayed for. The power of the risen Lord can be channeled through prayer right into you and your life. And I want to leave you with that question. Who is at the center of your life? If we looked at your life 
like that scenes that we just, George Ritchie talked about. What would it show as the who or what as Lord of your life? And if it's not Jesus, then I pray that you today will surrender your heart and life, that you will open up your soul and your mind and say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Jesus, Holy Spirit, we give you free reign to work in this room by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the power of the name of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. We give you all authority <laughs> and we give you all room and presence to move this morning. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.